church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good job. I got to give you guys kudos because the first service this morning, I don't think they even knew how to clap or like anything to come out of their mouth. So good job this morning. Hey, I want to tell you guys, in a couple weeks coming up on February 16th, we are actually launching a Saturday night service at 6 p.m. And so make sure you guys invite your friends, maybe attend Saturday night. We're trying to make space in our Sunday morning services, which is an amazing problem to have, right? We're so grateful for that. Hey, my name is Shayla. I am actually Pastor TJ's wife, and I get the privilege this morning of closing out our series called The Me I Want to Be. So let me ask you guys a question. At the end of this series, are you the me I want to be? <laughs> you know what, you guys? Here's the deal. We never arrive. Okay? Like God is constantly moving us forward, giving us purpose, all of those things. We are never perfect and we will never have gotten there, but we can get a little bit closer every single day by continuing to become and to look for the things that God wants to do inside of us. So, okay, today is the Super Bowl, right? Any anybody watching the Super Bowl today? Like four of you are watching it. Okay, how many Patriots fans do we have? They're all in the front row. They need to get saved this morning. Who, let's see, who's the other team that's playing? Oh, the Rams. How many Rams fans do we have out there? Ooh, I think, I think you guys are better than the Patriots right now because you guys had like a little more energy behind that and... You know, it's all in our perspective of what we think the right teams is. And, you know, so many times in life, we look at circumstances, we look at situations very differently. And I wanted to show you guys a, a little example of this. So I'm going to throw a picture up on the screen. And I want, me, I want you guys to tell me what you see. What do you see? Well, a face. Some of you said liar. The, oh. TJ, your pastor is over here calling you out. He said, those of you that said liar, you are very negative people. <laughs> but you know what? It's all in your perspective of how you look at it. It can say liar or it can be somebody's face. How about, how about this next one? How many legs does the elephant have? Some said five, some say four. It's all in your perspective on how you're viewing what's in front of you, right? Okay, next one. Are they climbing up or are they climbing down? Everybody is confused on that one. Like, I have no idea what the meaning of this is. But we all have different perspectives as we look at stuff like this. And the same is true in life. We're all walking through life. We're walking through circumstances. We're walking through difficulty. We're walking through good times in life. And the perspective that we take has so much to do with the end result we get to. And how we walk through this journey called life has everything to do with our perspective. And so as I'm talking to you guys today, I want to start in the Bible, in the book of John. And this message, actually, I just want to give you a, a little bit of a forewarning. I think this message is, is like my life message. I feel like I've written this message over and over and over again. It's something that I've continued to live out in my life. So this is something that is going to be pretty heavy for me, but I'm doing it with every single thing that I have in me because I believe that how we walk through life and how we steward the opportunities before us has everything to do with how we end up in life. 
and what plays out in our lives. So we're going to pick up in John 11, and we're actually going to talk about the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus, we've all heard the story of Lazarus. If you've been in Sunday school and little felt things or, you know, anything like that, if you grew up in church, you've heard the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was one of Jesus' dearest friends. He and, and, and Lazarus were super close. And even in the Bible, this is the story where it actually says that Jesus wept. And Jesus wept. I don't see that anywhere else in the Bible, but Jesus wept because there was something that was happening to his dear friend Lazarus. And Jesus feels so much emotion in this story. So it's somebody that is extremely important to him. And in John 11, 1 through 3, it says this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. They had to send word to him. And they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. See, right here, Jesus is getting some painful news about his friend. Jesus is getting some news that is very overwhelming, that is very difficult to swallow. Because, see, Lazarus is sick, and he actually has, like, this, he's on his deathbed. And so this one that Jesus loves, somebody sends word that he is sick, and Jesus is experiencing this extreme pain. Now, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever experienced pain in your life? And here's the thing about life. We live life long enough, we're going to experience pain. Not one of us is exempt from the pain in life. The Bible actually talks about this. It says that in this world, we will face trouble. So it's not if we're going to walk through pain, it's when we're going to walk through pain. When we're going to walk through difficulty. And Jesus right here, he's experiencing an extreme amount of pain. And I don't know what pain you walked in here with. I don't know if it's somebody that betrayed you. I don't know if it's a financial situation. I don't know if it's a relational issue. I don't know what pain is present in your life, but I know all of us are walking through something. And pain is something that is so unavoidable in life, but I think our response to pain means everything. And so here's what Jesus says as he's responding to this pain that has just been delivered to him. He said, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. See, right here, what Jesus is saying is that pain can have a purpose. You know what Jesus is saying? I know that this pain is present. I know the reality of my circumstances. I can see what's in front of me, but that pain is not going to define my perspective moving forward. My pain can have a purpose. If we begin to walk through it correctly, if we begin to heal, if we begin to steward the pain that's in our life, our pain can have a purpose. You know, 19 years ago, 19 years ago, when I was 19 years old, that was about 20 years ago. <laughs> when I was 19 years old, I had gotten in my car to drive to a friend's house. And I got in the car, I drove over there, and I'm parked in the driveway, and my friend came out, and he got in the, the passenger seat of the car. And as we're talking and as we're conversating in that moment, 
he began to get really angry. And I remember as his anger continued to rose, he actually ended up pushing me into the back of the car. And he pushed me into the back of the car and he began to rape me. And in that moment, in pain, in fear, in circumstances beyond your control is paralyzing. And I remember sitting there just frozen by fear. And after he did that, he ended up pushing me up into the corner of the car with his arm against my throat like this. And as he pushed me in the corner of a car, he brought something sharp out of his hand and he stuck it up to my neck. And he said, Shayla, how do you want to die today? And I remember being in that moment and being so paralyzed and so overcome in that moment that I, I couldn't even say anything. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything because pain and fear is paralyzing. And as I sat there, all of these things going through in my head, the only thing I could do was muster up to cry out to God, even in a really small way. I just started crying out to God. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, this guy dropped whatever he had, and he let me go. And I remember driving home, and tears streaming down my face, wondering, how, how could I have let this happen? How did I get in this situation? How did I put myself here? Why is this happening to me? And I get home, and I'm just sitting on the, the bathroom floor sobbing. And I remember thinking, how am I going to tell this to my parents? And I remember sitting down to talk to my parents and, listen, I know parents in these moments when something bad has happened to your kids, we don't know how to respond. We don't know what to say. And I remember sitting down to tell my parents and I remember my dad saying to me, Shayla, how could you let this happen? And again, the pain sunk in. This is my fault. I did this. It's like pain, pain. And I remember going day to day, week by week, month by month. And when I was off by myself, I would just cry and I would cry and I would cry. God, I don't understand this. And eventually I got to this place where it was just hard to get up every day and to go forward because what if? And I remember going to my parents and saying, I need counseling. I need to go to counseling, and they set up a meeting with a counselor, and I showed up, and I'm just pouring all of this stuff out that happened on the counselor, just sharing with her what happened, and I will never forget her looking at me, and she said, Shayla, it will be hard for you to ever love or trust a man again. And I remember in that moment something rising up inside of me. Something rising up inside of me saying, you are not the victim, you are a victor. And I looked at that lady and I said, you know what, you are wrong. 
You are wrong. I will love. I will trust. I will have a future for my life because I refuse to be somebody's victim. See, let me tell you something. Your pain can have purpose. What you walk through is not in vain. The financial situation, the family situation, the relationship situation, I don't care what it is. Let's be people that refuse to say, this is just going to be something that happened to me. No, gosh darn it, God, you better use it. Because I refuse to walk through these things and not something good not come from it. Because let me tell you something, now my pain is my privilege. Because I can look around and I can see every person that's been touched by abuse. I can see the people that have so much going on inside of them because I can view it through the lens of my pain has purpose and it's a privilege to be able to lift that person out of their mess. See, I don't know what your pain is right now. I don't know if it's the business, I don't know if it's the kids, I don't know if it's the marriage, I don't know if it's the money, but I want to tell you right now, how you process through your pain will bring you to purpose in that. And God will redeem it and he will use it and he will be able to get you to a place where your pain has purpose. We go back to the story of Lazarus and actually Lazarus does end up dying. And Jesus, because he's not there, starts the journey when he's heard Lazarus is dead. And it takes him two days to get there. So Lazarus, he's been dead for a while. And so when Jesus shows up, it says this in 11, 38, and 39. Jesus once more moved deeply, pain again, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. This dude is dead dead, okay? And let me tell you something. Some of you sitting in this room, man, woman, child, you feel beyond hope. You feel that your situation is dead dead, that it's been gone, that there is no redemptive power that's going to come from it. It is so far beyond hope. But let me tell you something. We serve a God who specializes in resurrecting dead things. That there is no situation, no circumstance, no purpose, nothing that is far beyond his reach to be able to resurrect. And I think so many of us right now that feel like our situation has been dead, that feel like it's beyond hope, that feel like we are lost in the journey and where is God? That he is standing there. He has is, he is made the journey and he is standing there and he's saying, roll back the tomb. Roll back the tomb. I don't care what they say. I don't care that there's people gathered here. Roll back the tomb because your situation is not dead. So Jesus tells Martha, after she's like, no, oh, no, Lord, please don't open that. It's been four days. He stinks. This is bad. Don't open it. Jesus looks at her and says this, did I not tell you 
that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? See, I don't, I don't really care what your circumstance looks like. Jesus is saying, didn't I tell you to believe? See, your belief determines your action. You have to act on your belief. And I hope that we're not a church that just sits in a room and glorifies the God that we don't ever believe can move in our situation. Because if we believe something, we need to be able to take steps to believe, to move ourselves out of it and to believe that we serve a God that can resurrect our marriage. That we serve a God that can provide for us financially. That we serve a God who sees your son that's lost and gone, then that he can bring him back. See, belief means action, and we need to live every single day with action and belief that God can do it, and he will. Continuing on in John 11, 41 through 44, it says this, so they took away the stone, and I want you guys to really listen to these next words. It says, then Jesus looked up, and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. See, Jesus is standing there in pain. Jesus is standing there believing that God is going to do something in this situation. And he prays to God and goes, God, I, know, I already know you've heard me. I already know what you're going to do. I believe that you're going to do it. But this isn't for me. This is for all of the people standing around me. And let me tell you something, when God does something in you, it might not always be for you because it's not about you. This is about the people that are surrounding you that need to see you walk out your faith. They need to see you be an overcomer. They don't need to see a Christian that just goes to church and doesn't believe that God can do anything else in their life. He's saying, listen, God, I know that you've heard me. I believe that you can do the miracle. But I'm saying this because every single person in this room needs to hear what I'm going to say so that they can believe. Yeah. See, the me I want to be really isn't about me. It's about everybody around me. Because when God gives us purpose, when he formed us and created us in our mother's womb, he saw who we were going to be. He created purpose in our life. And purpose is not about you getting to a certain place. It's about the people that you're going to affect because God is about people. And so Jesus recognizes, like, these people need to hear this. I already know it. And there are things in your life that God has gifted you with, that have spoken, that he's spoken to you. He's given you dreams. He's given you businesses. He's given you all of these different things. And God has deposited those things in you. But I truly believe that it's not all for you because it's not about you. And when I think about this, when I think about our purpose and our destiny and the things that God has for us, I think about the story of Moses. Because Moses, the story is actually in Exodus 2, and I'm not going to take you guys there, but I'm going to tell it to you. You can read it later. But in Exodus 2 is the story of Moses. And Moses screwed up so many times. Moses was a murderer. Moses ran away. Moses abandoned so much in his life. But God shows up and starts to tell Moses, I want to use you to deliver a people. I want to use you to deliver some slaves that are in captivity. And Moses is like, oh, no, no, you got the wrong guy. 
you're talking to the wrong person. And how many times do we do that? There's something in front of us. We need to take a step, a challenge. We know that God is leading us to do something, but we step back and say, oh, no, no, God, that is not me. And God does something interesting with Moses. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? What is in your hand? And it's a question that I want to ask all of you guys today. What is in your hand? Because here's what was in Moses' hand. It was a staff. And when God asked Moses that question, he knew what the staff represented. See, that staff that was in Moses' hand represented his identity. Moses was a, he was a shepherd. So you could know that he was a shepherd by the staff that he carried around. It was his identity. The staff also represented his income. Because Moses had bought sheep, he had all kinds of livestock and stuff. He was, he was a shepherd and he was wealthy by that. What's in his hand represented his income. But the staff in his hand also represented his influence. Because he could, by hook or by crook, take those sheep wherever he wanted them to go. He could influence them to go in different directions. And what I believe that God is saying here today to all of you, no matter what situation, no matter what circumstance, no matter what pain, is right now, what is in your hand? And maybe you're saying, Shayla, I don't, I don't know my identity. I don't know what God has called me to. I don't know the, the gifts that he's given me. I, I don't know those things, so how am I supposed to know what's in my hand? I tell you guys, next Sunday we have our Discover class. It's during this service next Sunday. And you will learn in that class so much about the gifts that God has given you and how you can utilize that to make a difference in the people around you. Because here's what I know. When God is asking what's in his hand, he's going to use that over and over again to perform miracles, to bring those, the, the people in captivity out of captivity. And God wants to use what's in your hand to bring the people around you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, out of captivity, into freedom, into hope, into life. Because what he's given you is not about you. What's in your hand? See, Moses, the income So many times we get like, oh, they're talking about money in church. <laughs> See, God mandated us in his word as believers, as Christians, with the tithe. He didn't even ask for everything. He just said, give me 10%. And so many times we get all rustled up when, when we talk about money, but in the New Testament, Jesus talks about money more than he talks about anything else because that's what has the biggest stronghold on us. What he's saying is, what is in your hand? What is, what is the income that is there that can make a difference to the people around you? What is, what is there? God's word tells us that if we trust him with that, 
It says he will throw open the windows of heaven, pour out blessing. There's room enough that we can't even receive it. Why wouldn't we say, God, here's what's in my hand? And let me tell you, if you're like, oh, they just want my money, go give to another church. This isn't about giving here. Give, give to some other local church. But I will tell you here, just in this past year, we gave over $110,000 to missions. Just in the last three months, because you've invited your guests, with our partnership with the local food bank, we've given away over $70,000 worth of groceries to families in need in the last couple months. This isn't about a church needing your money. This is God saying, what's in your hand that you can use to make a difference? Your influence, the people that are surrounding you in your, in your jobs and your neighbors. God's saying, what's in your hand? Because I have a place, I have a freedom, I have a relationship that I want to give people that don't even know. And I need you to take what's in your hand. And to begin to, to talk to those people, to realize that the faith that I've given you, the things that I've deposited in you are not for you. It's for the people around you. How are you using your influence to bring freedom and hope and restoration to those that don't know yet? And maybe you don't know how to lead somebody to Christ or give them the Romans road or anything like that. That's why we do the invite cards that were on all of your chairs. Because you can simply leverage your influence and invite someone to church where we will create environments where people can find hope and healing and freedom. All you have to do is say, God, here is what is in my hand. See, our perspective matters. How we view our pain, how we view our identity, our income, our influence, how we view those things makes the biggest difference in the outcome down the road. And here's what I know about our pain. If we don't learn how to transform our pain, we will eventually transfer it. We will transfer it in every relationship, in every job that we go into, in every church that we go into. If we don't allow God to bring purpose to our pain, we'll transfer it. You know, back in the... 1800s, there was a guy named Horatio Spafford. He had an amazing wife. He had five kids. And they were like living the dream. They were successful people. Amazing relationships. He was a very successful Businessman, he had a lot of real estate. They were they had good income, they were wealthy. But they were people that also gave back, invited people into their home, evangelists and all of these different people, because they knew they wanted to, to make a difference, not just in their world, but in the worlds around them. And they were living the dream. And then all of a sudden, one year their son got diagnosed with scarlet fever and he passed away. And this shook their family to the core. They kept going throughout life. 
And about a year later, the Chicago fires hit. And because Horatio had invested so much in real estate, his income was destroyed because all of his properties were burned to the ground. And there were hundreds of people that died in these fires. And Horatio and his wife, having nothing left except their home, would invite people that were displaced from the fire, that were homeless, that needed food, that needed care. They would invite them into their home and give them what they didn't even have. And if that wasn't enough, not too much longer, Horatio's wife develops a severe illness. And they decide that they're gonna go to England to get her treatment. And so Horatio and his four girls and his wife, they're going to get on this ship to sail to England so they can try to, to get her health restored. So as they're loading onto the ship, Horatio finds out that he has some business that he has to attend to before he can leave. So he sends his wife and his four daughters onto the ship and says, I'll meet you in England in a few days. And they get onto the ship and they're sailing away and halfway through the journey, an iron ship hits them and they become shipwrecked. And the majority of the lives on that ship are lost, including Horatio's four daughters. They find his wife grabbed onto a piece of debris and they bring her onto a ship that's out doing search and rescue. And she gets to England and she writes Horatio and says, there's been a shipwreck. All of our daughters are gone but I'm still alive. Horatio gets on a ship to go to England to be with his wife who's dying. And as they're on the ship and as they're making the journey halfway through, the captain comes on and says, just a few days ago, there was a shipwrecked right in this spot where many people lost their life and Horatio realized that was my family. And he begins to pin a song, the words of a song. And he wrote these words, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? Some of you guys are walking through some intense pain. Some of you guys are in circumstances that you're not really sure how to get out of. Maybe some of you guys are in the, the boat that you've kind of lost hope lost your identity, lost your faith in God. 
you're walking through right, that right now, we want to pray with you. If you'll just slip up your hand, I'd love to pray over you. Yes, 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 yes. All over. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that your word tells us that you cause all things to work together for good. And Lord, we ask you right now to be present in each situation, God, that people have raised their hand. I pray that you would restore hope, that you would give peace, Father, that you would give strength to be able to weather the storm that is in front of them. God, that you would bring purpose out of their pain. God, I pray that all of us in this room can navigate a journey and through that journey, we can continue to say, it is well with my soul. God, we thank you for who you are, for rescuing us, for redeeming us. God, for giving us the hope on the other side of the pain. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.